Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblack. Hello and welcome back to another Worldview Wednesday. I'm Nathan Oblack and I'm once again joined by Ryan Aris and Dr. Joe Boot. And guys, last week, uh, we ended our podcast discussing the ongoing government restrictions and lockdowns uh, that we've been seeing. And we were giving some advice to pastors, specifically those in Manitoba and the United Kingdom, uh, that had been told that they can no longer open their churches. Uh, And here we are. It's a week later, and the City of Toronto has announced uh, that uh, beginning this Sunday, uh, churches must restrict their services to a maximum of 10 people. And as of yesterday, uh, the government of Alberta announced that students grades 7 to 12 are going to be sent home. Uh, All social gatherings will be banned. And there were many threats of uh, increasing restrictions on uh, gathering for worship. So I think to open up our podcast this week, the obvious question is, as Christians in Canada, uh, as lockdowns and uh, restrictions are steadily increasing across our country. What are some of our possible responses to what's happening? Yeah, this is a a pressing question now, Nathan, for um, Christian leaders, pastors, churches, elders, boards, consistories, presbyteries, whatever your form of local church government may look like. And of course, it's a pressing issue for Christians who are also in politics, um, MPPs and so forth, as to how they are going to react and respond and where they're going to stand on these issues. Uh, If we look back to March and the 14 or 15 days, whatever we were told, to to flatten the curve, and here we are eight months, is it now, uh, later, um, and going into hard lockdowns uh, again. Uh, and obviously it's disconcerting, it, it's troubling for for Christians, and it should be. It it should be disconcerting, it should be troubling, it should be extremely concerning. I mean, to be, say it's troubling, this is the understatement of the century. Um, this should be of profound concern now um, to every Christian leader. We've been obviously trying to alert people to the seriousness of this uh, situation um, and its implications. Um, and, um, now here we are again, um, and the situation is upon us again. I think in terms of very practical responses that, uh, you're asking me to suggest Aaron, uh, uh, Nathan, um, I think that, um, it was Aaron we had on last week, wasn't it? Uh, I think that, um, obviously the first thing that the, the Christian church has to do is to pray. And prayer changes things. And as Christians, if we believe as we must in the power of prayer and the significance of the the prayer power of the Christian, I mean, we're called upon, according to the Apostle Paul, to intercede uh, as God's people for kings, for governors, for those in authority, etc., that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness. In other words, that, 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 that we'd be left alone to worship and serve God in, in peace. So we need to pray. And I think that 
all the churches should be called to prayer. There should be um, prayer gatherings uh, uh, for concerted prayer. You know, it's interesting what you've just said about Alberta. I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul's response to being told that not only is the church um, here in Ontario not to meet with more than 10 people, in Alberta, you couldn't even meet house to house. I mean, that would be, uh, think about the nature of that as, as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as a restriction to be placed on. How, how do we think the apostles would respond to such a demand that there not even be meetings from house to house? Um, uh, I think the answer, the, the, the question answers itself, quite frankly, despite what um, uh, certain um lightheads are writing about um with the gospel coalition um the the so the first thing is prayer i think the second thing we need to do is protest with protestants after all aren't we uh a very church tradition was born out of protest against oppression and tyranny um, and of course, that was both ecclesiastical and uh, political. When you look at the um, the, the the nation states there uh, in Europe, to be a Protestant, uh, at least a faithful one in the the Reformed sense, Calvinistic sense, even the Lutheran sense, uh, is to protest. Um, and that protest ultimately was about worship. So uh, we need to be faithful to our, our Christian tradition, I think, Nathan, and we need to protest. We need to say uh, enough's enough. Um, look, if restaurants in Toronto have got the chops to resist and the church runs and hides, what does that say about us? What does that say about Protestants? So I think we, we should now be seriously... Uh, looking at and supporting protest. There's an opportunity to do that this Sunday. Um, there is a, uh, a worship protest happening at three o'clock at Queen's Park uh, on Sunday, and I would encourage everybody uh, to be there. The third thing I think we can do is write. I mean, how many of us, how many of us as Christians, even those listening to this podcast, have have written to our local MPP, to our MP, to our provincial premier? We should be burying the uh, provincial government in a tsunami of letters uh, across the provinces, uh, wherever we are, whatever province in Canada we're in. They should be buried in bags of mail right now, uh, right across uh, the provinces. They need to be baptized. There needs to be a an immersion, let's put it that way, not just a sprinkling, Ryan, an immersion in, in letters. Um, not to upset our Presbyterian uh, friends. No, I think both are valid. But in this occasion, let's 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 uh, let's let's favor the the immersion uh, motive or picture, and say we need to immerse the provincial government in letters. Um, fourthly, I think we now, as churches are considering around the country, um, lawsuits. Uh, the Apostle Paul did not hesitate uh, to um, avoid a persecution by uh, appealing to his citizenship and saying, is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen and to appeal his case? As you know, Paul eventually appealed his case all the way to Caesar. And so I think the time has come now for us to seriously look at uh, lawsuits against the government. We can come on to that in a moment when we discuss the, the charter. Um, 
these are untested waters because we've never been here in the entire history of our country. This has never been tested in the courts as yet. Um, and it's going to need to be. I believe uh, suits are being filed already in Manitoba. I think also uh, uh, BC. I could be wrong about that, but I know that, that, that filings are coming. So that's the fourth thing. And I think the fifth thing that churches can be doing is worshipping anyway. Uh, gathering anyway for worship. Um, those who are, are under the conviction of their conscience believe that uh, that the church is, cannot be dismissed as a non-essential service, uh, but that, that we, we must gather for worship. Um, look, this is Advent. This coming Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. Christmas is the, 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 the most prominent festival of the Christian calendar is just around the corner. Um, and are we really to say that the Church of Jesus Christ is to be locked out of worship again for an indefinite uh, period of time? Um, uh, how, how, who knows how many times these rolling lockdowns, unless they're resisted, uh, will be foisted upon the church. So the church now, church leaders now also need to seriously consider how are they going to respond to this and is worship anyway now a real option? Now, of course, that could take the form of uh, what the church in China, um, the, the, the faithful church in China, and what much of the church in the Middle East and the Far East does, which is uh, the underground church, which is they meet in secret. Churches are going to have to start seriously considering um, uh, obeying God rather than men in his requirement to, that we worship him, that we come around his table, that we preach the word of God, that we baptize, that we declare the gospel, that we uh, exercise church discipline, that we minister to the needs of the needy. These things, there is no caveat in scripture to these things. We've said this before. Do these things so long as there's no war on, there's no diseases going around, there's no virus, there's no caveat. Unlike the Canadian Charter, there is no notwithstanding clause in the Great Commission. And so uh, the church may now, does now need to consider, I know this is happening in the UK. I know there are underground churches meeting in the UK. The Christian church in Canada now needs to look at this. Um, so I would say those, Aaron, are the five responses, prayer, protest, writing, lawsuits, and worship, and if necessary, um, uh, in secret. Joe, in, uh, in your response there, you mentioned the Apostle Paul, and you mentioned uh, persecution. And that's not a term, that's not a word that we want to use lightly. But uh, it's been, it's interesting that uh, you bring that up, because we're seeing sort of from the other side, from a lot of evangelical leaders, there's a, uh, a what do I, what's the word that I want? There's an, there's an impetus or there's an exhortation to, uh, to go along, to continue to submit to, uh, to our elected officials in the midst of this. And a big part of the, the argument, their argument, is that this is not persecution. And they'll point to the fact that, well, it's not just the church that's being singled out. You know, mm -hmm. synagogues are being shut down. Mosques are being limited from their worship. Schools and restaurants. Uh, and this, uh, this sort of more broad-based lockdown means that we are not facing the targeted persecution of the church. 
Yeah. What, what do you make of uh, of this kind of argumentation? I could guess, but I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few things. I think there's a few things we we can say about that. Uh, first of all, when we look at the history of tyrannies, and let's just look at the the 20th century, for example, um, and the atheistic tyrannies of the political tyrannies of the 20th century. Um, well, let's take Germany, for instance. Um, it wasn't just uh, the Jewish people that were targeted, right? The idea that that the, the the Christian Church must be singled out in these situations in order it for, for it to be legitimate persecution, that no other sector of society is in any way affected by tyranny or authoritarianism, that only when it's only the Church can we characterize it as persecution, is absurd. The Jews were persecuted in. Uh, the the Third Reich, um, but so were gypsies. Um, so were uh, political opponents. So were faithful churches. So uh, in any authoritarian uh, regime, in any tyranny, so were intellectuals, by the way, and uh, you know, all, all kinds of groups were identified and targeted as, uh, uh, as, uh, as for oppression, for marginalization. So just because we look at the current situation and say, well, it's not only churches that are bit, therefore this is not an authoritarianism, this is not um, totalitarian, this is not uh, tyrannical, is absurd. Uh, it doesn't have to be only Christians or only Christian churches that are suffering in order for something to be identified as authoritarian, as tyrannical, and as persecuting. Um, second of all, um, the uh, the current situation uh, in Ontario, for example, does target churches amongst others. We're we're in a province now where it's absolutely fine for schools to be open. Right, school schools are unlike what's just happened in Alberta. Schools are open across the province. Um, in my own church, we have a school. So think about the absurdity of, 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 of staff and students meeting Monday through Friday, but we can't meet Sunday. Um, so we've also got big box stores. So, uh, you know, Costco and Walmart, they're doing a roaring trade. And that's still unaffected. And people can still go and get all their alcohol at the LCBO. So uh, the, the fact is, is that in this situation right now in Toronto and in the Peel region, uh, which are in the so-called gray zone, whatever that means. Uh, the 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 reality is is that there is a uh, singling out of worship of public worship um, amongst others that is not being brought down on uh, institutions like schools and big box stores and so on. And that means that at the very least, you can say that the posture of the bureaucrats and of, 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 of civil government is that schools are an essential service, churches are not. And yet, schools are not constitutionally protected. Freedom of worship and assembly is. Plus the fact, isn't it incumbent upon the church, which was the first truly free institution in Western culture, and which many people who are not even believers regard as the last line of defense. I've had conversations with MPPs who see the church as the last line of defense, that without faith, there is no freedom. What hope is there for restaurants, for small businesses, for, for, for families, 
for other sectors of society who don't have the numerical strength, the confessional unity, uh, in a sense, that sort of uh, that sphere of sovereign authority that the Church of Jesus Christ has. If we don't stand, what chance have they got? So isn't it also incumbent upon us to look at these poor small businesses and restaurant owners who are suffering, who are losing their livelihoods, their businesses? It's, it's gone. It's, it, 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 it's, it's done. The people who had a small fraction of hope left at the Christmas season would allow them to have customers, have people eat in their restaurants. So they might have now a slim chance of survival that's just been taken away from them. Isn't it incumbent upon the people of God to speak out for those who are suffering as well? Or is it just that we wait until we think we personally in our little local church where we are feel sufficiently oppressed before we say something? Let me tell you something. Those churches that say that will never say anything. They will never say anything. It never gets to the point where they feel it affects them enough. And this has been shown time and again. You look at the uh, um, Nazification of the church and then, of course, the approved church in China or the approved church in the Soviet Union and so on. And then thirdly and finally, Ryan, I would say it contradicts the word of God. It contradicts scripture. Persecution does not have to be deliberate, intentional targeting of Christians to constitute persecution. Uh, it doesn't have to be a self-conscious. We're not sitting here suggesting that, that Doug Ford is sat in, in, in the pr- provincial legislature or any other uh, MPP rubbing their hands saying, ha, 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 like Dr. No stroking his cat. Um, that now we've got the church in a corner, now we're going to nail them. I I don't doubt for a minute that there are in the bureaucracy nefarious actors who would love to see the church dispensed with. There's no doubt in my mind that there are MPPs who would like to see that, both at the federal and provincial level, but certainly not across the board. And I certainly don't think this is, ah, how can we now finally bring down the church in Ontario or in Alberta? This is not what we're saying. But Paul says very explicitly in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul was, as you know, Saul, and Saul was a persecutor of the church. That's who he was. Uh, He talks about it himself. That was his mission. That was what he believed he should do. He, in fact, even thought he was serving God doing it. This is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 13. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. Paul is saying, I didn't know what I was doing. I was ignorant and I did it in unbelief. Jesus at the cross looks down and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Was Jesus not being persecuted? Was Paul not persecuting the church? Of course he was. The idea that you need to prove an intentional, deliberate singling out of Christians to say that there's an authoritarian tyranny, that there is persecution, is unbiblical. It's wrong. It's historically without basis. It has no basis in scripture. And I'm sorry, but these semi-empty-headed individuals who try and will do almost anything to justify endless lockdown of worship, indefinite lockdowns of the church in the name that this isn't persecution. Look, quite frankly, we're, 
we're at a point, the lawyers are saying it, we are, in, we are now in totally uncharted legal and constitutional waters. This has never happened in the history of our country. And we've still got people saying, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Well, that's not what the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms think. And that's not what the lawyers that I'm speaking to think. Um, and this is not what faithful churches think. So um, I'm sorry, uh, but this, this, is, this stuff is no longer credible. It shouldn't even be read or listened to, right? This is authoritarianism. It's totally unprecedented. We are now in uncharted legal waters, and the church is now going back. Don't forget, Easter was the first festival we were shut out of. Now we're looking at potentially, well, we know the advent. And if this is rolled on, you know, they may throw people a bone and say, okay, we're going to let you have a little bubble here and a bubble there, whatever that means. We're all going to be blowing bubbles over Christmas. Uh, that, that, that now, again, the church is going to be in forcibly locked down, as I say, we'll come to the constitutional issues in just a moment, that, that this is not the most serious issue that's confronted the church in a very long time in North America uh, is absurd. There are other very serious issues, of course. We're looking at Bill C-6. Uh, we're looking at Bill C-7. At what point are these people going to say these things are persecution? These are, in fact, directly targeted at Christians, at the Christian view of life, at the Christian view of humanity, human sexuality. Where are the articles appearing on that, Ryan, Nathan? I'm just not seeing them. So, and I don't think they will appear. And I don't think we will see broad, widespread resistance of these people to things like Bill C6, mm. because uh, there's a blindness on this issue. I, uh, for some reason, we don't see it. Mm -hmm. Well, and something I'd like us to address is, uh, I, I'm sure we've all seen this and it very much flows out of what you're saying right there, Joe, but there's a growing number of Christians and Christian leaders. They're beginning to recognize that there are inconsistencies of what's open and what's closed. They see the government overreach. They recognize the opportunism, the destructive nature of lockdowns. But they're still maintaining that the faithful position is to just go along with all of these mandates and restrictions. And we're, we're still seeing Romans 13 being propped up all over the place. And I, uh, there's a great example of this in, in what's happened earlier this week with uh, a pastor in Manitoba. Um, but this pastor was just fined twice, once for holding a church service this past Sunday, and again for attending a protest. I believe he was fined $2,600 in all, but he's being confronted by pastors in his town saying that he needs to submit. What he's doing is unfaithful. Um, so he's getting pushback from the other leaders in his town. But mm. why are we still seeing this at this point where people are recognizing there's something wrong here, mm -hmm. but we're still being told that the faithful thing to do is just go along with it. Well, it's what Bonhoeffer wrote about. It's called the cost of discipleship. And I think at this point, people are recognizing that there's going to be some kind of a cost for the church to stand up, for believers to, to, to stand up and be faithful. And we're not willing to pay it. Many of us are simply not willing to pay it. We're not willing to risk 
are comfortable. So this is one of the problems with that has always been a problem with the middle classes, to be quite frank, is that uh, we tend to uh, wait and wait and wait because we've got something to lose uh, until it's too late. And um, look, this is not to say that, uh, you know, at some undefined indefinite point next year, there might be relaxing of, uh, uh, of restrictions. But then what are we going to be confronted with? Mandatory vaccinations, perhaps? Travel restrictions and pass- travel passports, perhaps? Uh, all kinds of other um, so restrictions on our, our, our freedoms and liberties. So, and if, if, the, if the government, if the civil government gets the message now that the churches will cave, then don't worry, you know, the churches will bend. They will do, they'll do what they're told. Christian leaders will do what they're told, whatever we tell them. If our prime minister, he keeps going on about the Great Reset, we'll do a program on that soon. Um, and um, uh, Klaus Schwab and his COVID-19 and the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum and Time Magazine and all the things that they're talking about. Um, if the impression is given now that Christian people and Christian leaders will not resist tyranny and authoritarianism and state overreach and totalitarian drift in our society, um, they'll just press ahead with whatever they want to do. Um, and uh, I you know, take my hat off to this, uh, this pastor in Manitoba for standing his ground, for making, uh, for making, a, for making the point. And um, I know that there will be that there will be those that will stand with him, and I expect we're going to see these things now. There, there is almost certain that this is going to be going all the way up to the Supreme Court, one way or another. But I think in the end, it comes down to the question of the price, the cost. When you've got something to lose, um, uh, are you ready for the the cost of discipleship? And I think. Uh, that's we've we've come to that point now. There's a sorting of the men from the boys. There's a there's there's a, there's a sorting out between those who are ready to stand upon uh, the convictions of the Word of God and the freedom of the church, as the Niagara Declaration laid out, and those who are just going to say no. Whenever the King's edict says don't pray, um, well, unlike Daniel, we won't go and pray. Um, and if the, if the King's edict says, you know, when the music plays, fall down and, and uh, do what the state says, we'll do it. We're not prepared for the fiery furnace. And uh, this, th- this, is, this is nothing new f- for, for the church in general. And of course, you know, there will be those that say, oh, this is a, there's a terrible overstatement. We're not there yet, blah, blah, blah. What, what, what point do we need to get to um, the, 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 in a place like Alberta where you've just said that People can't even meet for worship in their own homes. What point do you actually need to get to before you say, this is overreach, this is an edict we can't obey? And I think it comes down to the costs involved, Aaron uh, Nathan. Don't know why I keep calling you Aaron. <laughs> That's a recurring theme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good man. Yeah, shout out to Aaron. You mentioned the Niagara Declaration, just for all of our listeners. Again, if you haven't seen that, if you haven't had a chance to sign it, that's niagaradeclaration.ca. It's a statement on the uh, the freedoms and the rights and role of the church in society. Joe, one of the one last thing is that uh, the big objection this time around is we face a second lockdown, and it uh, there's a variation of it coming from uh, from both sides of the debate here, is that. Uh, the lockdown, no matter how you know difficult it is in the moment, 
it's a half measure. You know, it's uh, doing a great job of gutting the economy. It's doing a great job of driving people into despair. But in terms of controlling the spread, you know, it's uh, one region to the next. There are no limitations on that. It's not, it's not actually an effective measure. Um, and this is actually something that, uh, that Aaron Rock mentioned last week as well, that uh, if uh, once the state shows us that they are actually taking it seriously, that everything's closed, except I think he said police and firefighters, then we'll start to take it seriously. We'll start to think that there might be something here. But until that point, you know, we're, uh, we either, yeah, we either need to take this seriously or we need to ignore it. There's no, there's no good and a lot of harm that comes from coming right up to the line, but not going over it. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, that, that's a very good point. Um, the, the basically the 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 lack of a justifiability when you say well we're gonna because the measures are arbitrary they just are um and you know from region from to region from area to area and i think this is a probably a good moment to talk about the fact that maybe canadians need to be reminded of their fundamental freedoms according to section two of the charter uh, their fundamental freedoms include freedom of conscience and religion, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, and of media communication. And yet you post certain stuff right now and you're being tagged that this is, uh, uh, you know, misinformation or whatever because some some uh, 25-year-old employee of Twitter thinks that you uh, have just said something they don't like. Um Freedom of peaceful assembly. These are your fundamental freedoms. Freedom of association. Uh, the the question of freedom of conscience and religion. Well, that the, 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 those those uh, rights may be triggered by uh, mandatory vaccinations that may be on the horizon, or airlines taking it upon themselves to make it mandatory, just like uh, Qantas has in in Australia. Um, uh, restrictions certainly on in-person church gatherings can trigger section A there and C, freedom of conscience and religion and freedom of peaceful assembly and um, association and so on. Um, there's mobility rights. We've talked about this before. Every citizen of Canada has the right to enter, remain in and leave Canada. Uh, rights to move and gain a livelihood. So to pursue uh, the gaining of a livelihood in any province. Lots of our neighbors are being, uh, well, we know that we're restricted in movement. Um, we've even got interprovincial restrictions in movement, never mind international uh, 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 restrictions in movement. Try getting into Prince Edward Island right now. Um, this rubber glove stuff down there. And then, uh, so restrictions on travel would trigger section 6.1 indefinite shutdown of, of countless businesses might uh, trigger uh, Section 6B. Um, there's, of course, protections of the Charter for life, liberty, and security of person. Um, and you can't be deprived of them except in terms of the principles of fundamental justice. I mean, do we, uh, 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 are most Christians even aware of their ch Charter liberties? All of this right now is happening in terms of the so-called notwithstanding clause. 
right, which is a highly controversial section uh, of the charter. Um, and the federal government has never invoked it. It's never invoked it. It's scarcely been employed by provincial governments. So the um, section one, uh, section one of the charter analysis and, and thinking about how that works, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in, uh, set out in it subject only to reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. And this is the point that we made last in our last podcast is that the the burden of proof, the onus is actually the uh, for justification for the citizen not being able to worship, not having freedom of assembly is on the civil government. Where is the proof? Where are the deaths piling up all around us? Where 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 is the demonstrable justification that these measures are necessary? And as you've said, Ryan, if schools can all meet, if we can all go to Costco, uh, and all these things can, can can carry on, I'm afraid it just doesn't meet. It doesn't meet the test. Where, wh- when you ask for the evidence, and the, and the provincial government has been asked for evidence again and again and again by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, what do we get? Nothing. Uh, so they've got to be able to show that less drastic means of achieving the objectives that they're doing. Um, have not, uh, you know, that 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 they were employed and and didn't work. So the question that the church leader, as well as uh, as all of us have to answer right now, is: Is civil government's interference with the church's freedom to do as she ought justified in the current context? And I think we can say unequivocally, because it has to be an unequivocal justification. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We might say that it's in terms of uh, what would be required before the courts. Uh, sufficiently important. Okay, we could say that the question of a pandemic initially, when it was the issues were unknown, it was su- sufficiently important that the civil government do something. But is there a rational connection, which is the second point, between the means that they are using and the end that they're trying to achieve? Well, if you can have large protests of thousands of people where leading political figures like Justin Trudeau and the Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson are attending protests in person that are non-religious and that's fine and that's during the first outbreak but now the our worship is not there's there's a loss of the rational connection there is it minimally impairing that would be a question for the courts as well um if industry is trusted to put health limits in place and to carry on then so should churches so it's not minimally impairing um, and then proportionate effect would be the last consideration for the courts in terms of this notwithstanding clause, um, that the limiting measure must not so severely trench or, or, or on individual or tread on individual or group rights that the legislative objective, albeit important, is nevertheless outweighed by the abridgment of the rights. So basically, it must be unequivocally established that these things are necessary for the infringement of our constitutional rights. That that is the the measure, and the situation we're facing today is basically unprecedented. It's never been put to the test uh, legally, constitutionally, um, in our courts since the inception of our of our country. So the whole point of the charter actually was that um, fear based and speculative decisions are stopped. That 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 the governments aren't allowed to do that. And what we've got right now, what we're facing is a fear-based speculation 
based on unproved models when we're simply not looking at the evidence, we're not being given the evidence that justifies uh, these measures. So the onus is actually on the government to show that restriction is reasonable and necessary. Let me just quote quickly from um, a National Post article in April 2020. Right, This is the National Post. Um, it's, and I quote, Plenty of our rights have been violated due to the pandemic, including the property rights of recreational cottages, but also the fundamental freedoms and other constitutional rights, such that reading uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms today is like reading a checklist of recent developments in the news. Mobility right to leave the country? Check. There is even talk of interprovincial limits. Legal right to be tried in a reasonable time? not looking good, as in Ontario, for example, jury trials are off until at least September. So this is going back to April. The right to be free of cruel and unusual treatment is increasingly threatened by carceral outbreaks, which judges are taking into, into account as reason to release. So that's people getting the disease in prison. Freedom of conscience is a common theme in legal responses to mandatory vaccine programs, which may yet become a major issue if a vaccine for COVID-19 becomes available. The closely related freedom of religion is already in play. There's a pervading sense that the presumption of guilt applies to everyone who is outside during COVID. The presumption that was central was a, uh, was a central problem with carding or street checks by police Public order offences for COVID-19 are similarly set up such that they allow enforcement officers to retroactively reconstruct the allegation of a violation in order to justify stopping people in the first place. They just come up with it. After the Saskatchewan Health Authority banned a drive-in church service as a mass gathering prohibited by a new public health order, for example, the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms wrote to Premier Scott Moe, alleging this ban, quote, unjustifiably violated citizens' charter freedoms of peaceful assembly, association, and religion. That was the National Post back in April. And now we are going back into uh, these situations again in um, Ontario, in Alberta, and other places. And I was just reading this morning um, on the website of the um, World Doctors Alliance uh, summarizing the current situation. They say that so-called asymptomatic cases have never in the history of respiratory disease been the driver for spread of infection. And uh, the UK, which has been much more seriously affected than Canada, and they're writing about this, COVID has proved, and I quote, COVID has proved less deadly than pre previous influenza seasons. There were 50,100 flu deaths from December 2017 to March 2018 in England and Wales. There were 80,000 flu deaths in 1969. To date, we have around 42,000 COVID-related deaths in the UK. And they go on, we have never locked down society for a respiratory virus. Countries which did not lock down, Sweden, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, Belarus, have all done significantly better than us in terms of percentage of population deaths. Lockdown did not save lives, and this has been published in The Lancet. In our analysis, full lockdowns and widespread COVID-19 testing, testing were not associated with reductions in number of critical cases or overall mortality. We know now across the world that the vast majority of deaths occurred in elderly and very elderly people. 
the vast majority in people with pre-existing serious health issues such as cancer, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, that COVID poses virtually zero risk to the under 45s who have more chance of being struck by lightning than dying from COVID. And COVID poses a very small risk for healthy under 60-year-olds who have a greater chance of accidental drowning than dying from COVID. And yet then our nations have been practically placed under house arrest. Let me put that into perspective with the UK. There were 115,000 smoking-related deaths in the UK in 2015 compared to 42,000 from, from, from COVID. And a, a, and a prominent doctor, um, uh, speaking of the situation in Manitoba, has pointed out a couple of weeks ago that your chance of dying of COVID in Manitoba is about one in 300,000. So the point is, because we're on the constitutional issue of justifiability and the other, uh, and other measures being sufficient, like the Great Barrington Declaration has pointed out that sheltering the very elderly and those who are vulnerable and opening everything else up, that is the rational course. They can't provide any proof for us that it isn't, so we're dealing with a radically unconstitutional uh, situation right now. And the only question is whether the courts, ultimately, in Canada, because it's untested, will recognize this fact. Um, we could go on and on and on about uh, those issues. We, won't, we don't want to bore our listeners. Um, I'm sure they'll come up again. But they, they will come up again. But it, it, but it answers to the fact of your question, Aaron, uh, Ryan. Why do I keep calling everybody Aaron in this room? <laughs> he made an impression you, uh, on you. Do you, you want to call Aaron? Maybe I should just call Aaron right now. Um, my co-belligerent, yeah. Uh, the, the, the issue that he spoke to that you mentioned uh, about, well, if everything was locked down um, consistently right across the board and Evidence was produced, peer-reviewed medical evidence from people without political liability. Then we could say, okay, this is not this is not a situation where we should, at this moment, be up in arms because look, we've got all this evidence out in front of us, and everything is consistently locked down. We're not there, and so we go back to those five things that we spoke about at the beginning uh, that we need to be doing as the Church of Jesus Christ right now. Well, and on that note, uh, it's time to wrap up this week's podcast, and we truly hope that uh, we've encouraged our listeners to push back against all these unjust policies that we've been talking about. It's needed. It's necessary. Um, now's the time to push back as Christians in Canada. We also encourage our listeners to uh, listen to our previous podcast, where we discuss many of these issues in, in detail. Uh, also, be sure to check out our website, ezrainstitute.ca, for all of our other resources. And we hope that you will be back with us next week for next week's Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time.